Welcome back to the Abnormal Psychologist podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Colby Taylor, a psychologist and an assistant professor of behavioral sciences at Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Tennessee. All right, so I was thinking about a topic for today's podcast, and I sort of thought back to my own childhood and my own adolescence, and I thought, let's do an episode on bullying. Um, bullying is one of those things that we sort of think of as a school-aged childhood problem. But really, there are bullies throughout the lifespan. Uh, there are bullies in the workplace. There are bullies in the retirement home. Uh, bullies just don't go away. You know, it's funny when I ask someone whether they've experienced bullying before, I think they naturally think about that question from a victim's perspective. When you're asked if you've experienced bullying before, you think about being bullied. I think it's really rare that you envision yourself as the perpetrator. Bullying is something that, unfortunately, a lot of people experience. Prevalence of bullying ranges from 20% of people to over half of people saying they've experienced bullying. Bullying is a universal phenomenon. There are bullies all over the world. And there have been bullies throughout human history. Uh, we probably had cave people bullies. Uh, there are bullies in the Bible. And going through a world history textbook seems to be an anthology of case studies of bullies. It's estimated in the United States alone that over 6 million school-aged children are victims of bullying. These are disturbing numbers, and I say bullying has existed throughout human history, but there is some evidence that rates of bullying might actually be on the downswing. Some research indicates bullying is decreasing in frequency, especially physical bullying. Okay, so I've been using the word bullying a lot. I think we have an idea of what bullying is, uh, but as always, sort of in my pedantic way, I need to formally define the term. And in defining the term, let's look no further than the sort of bullying godfather, Dan Olvius. And side note, I guess the godfather from the movies and the books was kind of a bully. Anyways, Dan Olvius was a Norwegian psychologist and was the premier name in bullying research. Sadly, he passed away last September at the age of 89. Olvius came front and center into the bullying scene in 1978 when he published Aggression in Schools, Bullies and Whipping Boys. And you might hear boys and think that's sexist, and we'll address the demographics of bullies and the bullied later in this episode. Anyways, according to Olvius, bullying has three components. The first component is that it's purposeful. You can't be an accidental bully. Bullies hurt others on purpose. The second component is that it's continuous or repeated. By Olvius's definition, a one-time incident doesn't make a bully. Just taking someone's lunch money once would not make you a bully. And the third component of bullying is that it involves a power imbalance. Bullies take advantage of power differentials, whether it's a physical power differential, like they might be bigger than you, or have uh, more economic power than you. Uh, they might make more money or have higher status than you. Or maybe it's an emotional power differential. They might take advantage of your emotional vulnerabilities. So these are the three components of bullying. Purposeful, continuous, and a power differential. We also see added into this mix that bullying intends to cause fear or harm. Bullying is not a benevolent pro-social act. It's hurtful, and we'll try to qualify or quantify exactly how it's hurtful in a little bit. Anyways, 
let's continue to define bullying. Usually bullying is sort of subdivided into different categories. And these categories tend to go back to the work by Espelage and Swearer from 2003. Uh, sometimes you'll see bullying split into two categories, uh, and these categories are direct bullying and indirect bullying. With direct bullying, it's first-person bullying. You have interaction with the bully. The bully directly harms you, and it's usually not anonymous. Whereas with indirect bullying, you might not have direct interaction with the bully. The bully might gossip or talk bad about you to other people, which in turn harms your reputation. Uh, indirect bullying is more triangulated. Indirect bullying is also more likely to be anonymous. It might involve finding hurtful, unsigned notes in your school locker or having your car vandalized in the middle of the night. All right, so we have two broad categories of bullying, direct and indirect. Sometimes we also see bullying split into three categories, physical, verbal, and relational. Physical and verbal bullying tend to be direct in nature, whereas relational bullying tends to be more indirect. So physical bullying involves a physical action, like hitting, kicking, pushing, or forcibly taking something from, away from someone. Uh, as mentioned a little bit ago, physical bullying seems to be on the decline. Verbal bullying involves teasing, threatening, or name-calling. Verbal bullying is the most common type of bullying. And relational bullying involves gossiping, peer exclusion, dissing, or checking. Relational bullying is the one type of bullying that's more common in females than males. All right, self-disclosure time. You know how as a, like a senior in high school, like in the yearbook and everything, you have superlatives, like most likely to succeed and most popular and most school-spirited and stuff? Um, I had two senior superlatives in high school. One was most likely to be president, and the other was biggest gossip. Um, I'm not sure if the two are related. Anyways, physical bullying tends to peak in childhood, right? Physical bullies as adults are thrown into jail. Assault and battery are criminal, um, whereas verbal and relational bullying, unfortunately, tend to persist into adulthood. When we talk about relational bullying, we need to mention a special type of relational bullying, which is cyberbullying. And I sort of hate the term cyberbullying, by the way. It seems really dated. Like, cyberbullying sounds late 90s or early 2000s. Uh, it sort of reminds me of instant messenger and all that stuff. Um, cyberbullying does include instant messaging, if that's still a thing. Uh, but it also includes text messaging, DMs, email, and so forth. The prevalence of cyberbullying varies widely. Uh, I've seen estimates as low as 3%, which I just think is just like an insane underestimate to as high as over 50%, which I think is more realistic and accurate. In the workplace, putting someone on blast by CCing a bunch of coworkers seems to fit here. Uh, Cyberbullying is one of the few forms of bullying that seems to be increasing in frequency. It seems like every few months we'll have this horrific national news story about a teenager that's cyberbullied by a group of peers, or even by parents, and that ends up committing suicide. It's tragic. Uh, there are lots of interesting debates about whether cyberbullying should be considered a crime. Um, there are some high-profile cases you can Google. One is Mallory Rose Grossman, who was a 12-year-old cheerleader who lived in New Jersey. Mallory was harassed by a group of girls. Uh, at one point, they told her, why don't you just kill herself? And after this endless harassing, she tragically committed suicide by hanging. 
Another high-profile case is that of Dawn Marie Wesley, a Canadian 14-year-old who was also harassed by a group of girls and also ended up committing suicide by hanging. Wesley's case was one of the first high-profile cases of cyberbullying. It got media attention in the year 2000. So I mentioned these two cases because they demonstrate that suicidal ideation for girls due to bullying is higher than that of boys. Girls who experience bullying are four times more likely than boys to have suicidal ideation. So back to Olvius's Whipping Boys manuscript. It does seem a bit sexist and disingenuous. Boys who are bullied are also at increased risk of suicide compared to non-bullied boys. They are 2.5 times more likely to commit suicide than those who aren't bullied. We also know that LGBTQ youth are at higher risk of suicidal ideation due to bullying. Over 75% of transgender youth experience bullying or harassment at school, and over half have experienced bullying by teachers. 50% of transgender youth have attempted suicide, and this is compared to 2% of the general population. It's fitting that National Bullying Awareness Month, which is in October, and National Suicide Awareness Month, which is in September, are belly-to-belly to one another in the calendar. All right, let's transition to look at some of the characteristics of bullies, victims, and bully victims, who are both perpetrators and victims of bullying. And maybe surprisingly, 30% of bullying victims are also bullies themselves. It's sort of cyclical. Much of what I'm about to talk to you about comes from the work of Rashmi Shitgiri. Anyways, let's start by profiling bullies. Boys are more likely than girls to be bullies. Bullies tend to have more dominant personalities and be of larger physical stature than their peers. Bullies tend to engage in drug use and defiant behaviors at higher levels than their peers. And bullies are more likely than their peers to carry diagnoses such as ADHD, depression, oppositional defiant disorder, and conduct disorder. Now let's profile victims. Victims are more likely to be physically smaller than their peers, to have low self-esteem, and to have low levels of assertiveness and also to have difficulty making friends. Victims are likely to carry diagnoses like anxiety and depression. And now let's look at that bully victim profile. Bully victims seem to be more impulsive than their peers, to have poor problem solving and social skills, to have low self-esteem, and to carry all of the diagnoses we talked about of both bullies and victims, ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, anxiety, and depression. I'm always surprised by that finding that many victims of bullying are actually bullies themselves in different contexts. Uh, Another thing I sometimes find surprising is that taking a victim out of an environment might not be enough. Victims that move away or change schools are more likely to be victims of bullying in their new environments as well. Anyways, self-esteem came up in a lot of those profiles, and this is sort of a controversial topic. Research isn't really clear on how self-esteem plays into this. Uh, We used to think of bullies um, as having low self-esteem. They bully because they have low self-esteem. So we started these initiatives to increase self-esteem in the school system. But then we found that some bullies actually have super inflated self-esteems. So we were just creating bullies that feel better about themselves, like super confident bullies. So research goes back and forth on this. Sort of an example of these equivocal findings would be the Columbine shooters, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris. And we just had the anniversary of Columbine the other day on April 20th. So it's sort of fitting that I'm recording this episode on April 23rd. 
So about one in five perpetrators of school shootings since 1990 have been victims of bullying. But this also sort of aligns with our 20% national prevalence of school bullying. So anyways, Klebold and Harris's parents argued that their sons were victims of bullying. Columbine High School had a big problem with bullying. A girl had been pinned down in the hallways of the high school weeks before the shooting and had her hair set on fire. Klebold and Harris both had ketchup and mustard squirted on their heads in the school cafeteria. There's also some evidence, though, that Klebold and Harris had higher than average self-esteem. So, anyways, victims of bullying are at risk for anxiety and depression, are more likely to stay home from school or have chronic absenteeism, and might be more likely to engage in school shootings. However, we know this is incredibly rare, as over 6 million students experience bullying, and hardly any of these will go on to commit school shootings. So environments that perpetuate bullying in very, very rare instances might create a higher likelihood for school shootings. Some long-term consequences for bullies, according to Smokowski and Kopaz, 60% of boys who bully between the 6th and 9th grades have at least one criminal conviction by the age of 35. Bullies are more likely than non-bullies to engage in substance use, and bullies are more likely to have children of their own who grew up to become bullies. I guess to wrap up, one resource I recommend to parents is Barbara Coloroso's book, The Bully, The Bullied, and The Bystander. Highly recommend it. Anyways, the mailbag is empty. Send episode requests, questions, or comments to ctaylo41 at cbu.edu with the subject line mailbag, and I'll respond to them. Uh, That's it for this episode. Until next time, take care and stay well.